Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, another day, another slay. Welcome back to Let's Go There. You know, Shira is out. I'm Ryan Mitchell, though. And I'm very happy to be here. Very, very happy to be here. Um, but joining me because Shira is out is the voice you all love and the, you know, of course, my icon, the one and only Shar Jastel. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I wonder if Shira made it to her braiding appointment on time before going to Burning Man. Is that what she was supposed to do? Yeah, she's supposed to get box braids. You didn't know? Oh, God. No, I'm joking. I was going to say, just watch all of her hair just <laughs> fall out of her scalp. We had a long, a lengthy conversation about Burning Man, though. Did you know it was for, like, charitable things? I thought it was just people going to the desert to do ayahuasca. No, it is. Yeah, the Burning Man has, like, uh, several different... Allegedly. Like, yeah, several different things about it. But I, I don't know. I hope she has a good time. I can't wait to see all the outfits, and I can't wait to hear all the stories. I'm sure she'll be full of them. <laughs> now, you may hear um, Diana Ross in the background. I'm coming out because Channel Q wants to send you and a guest to Vegas to see the supreme diva Diana Ross. Ross, the iconic Miss Ross, returns for a limited engagement at Wynn, Las Vegas, September 21st to October 1st. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win. And here's what you're going to win. Airfare for two. Two-night hotel stay at the Wynn, Las Vegas. Plus, honey, we're getting you up and close in front in the first, like, 10 rows. Which is oh. really incredible, right? Yeah, for an icon like Di. I know, that's right. Just head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win. Or go get tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. Very excited about that. I, I love Dinah Ross. She was just at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, she was. I love her, too. I've seen her at the Palladium. Mm-hmm. The last time we did something fun with Channel Q loves Dinah Ross here. I mean, I, a lot of people love Diana yeah. Ross. I love her, too. Well, let's, let's ask Patty LaBelle if she loves her. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about what's happening on the show today. The Trevor Project has released an interesting new study that looks at the mental health of LGBTQ plus youth who have parents in the military. I'm super excited to ask them, like, why it was important to have this study specifically mm-hmm. right now. It's going to be really interesting. They're going to be joining us. Um, and then, of course, there's some breaking news about Jenny Thomas making more attempts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Stick around for that. 
Wow, or not. I mean, honestly, I'm over having the conversation. I'm, me too. I'm ready for some action. <laughs> We're talking in circles. I'm ready for some action. Lock her up. So let's get into some headlines really quickly before we head over to the T-Report, where Char's going to give us some pop culture news. The second gentleman, Douglas Emhoff, will host a virtual roundtable this morning, uh, well, this afternoon, where um, he will meet with LGBTQ plus high school students from across the country to learn how they feel about returning to school in the wake of all of these widespread attacks on LGBTQ plus identity in classrooms. Uh, a White House official told the advocate the second gentleman felt compelled to hold a meeting with students following the passage of legislation in states that impacts the LGBTQ community, including the Don't Say Gay, Gay Bill in Florida. Uh, the call will include trans and cisgender youth from Florida, Washington, D.C., Connecticut, and California. This sounds a bit nonsensical to me. Not I don't silencing what... the youth, but what? what's the point? Of course they feel terrible. <laughs> What 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 is Doug looking for in these in in these answers? And then oh, also it like, just what looks does good. He, yeah, as I say, it just looks good. And then also like, what does he actually do besides this? He's the second gentleman. I mean, I love that for him. History yeah. making. Um, okay, so a friendly PSA: If you haven't yet ordered your free at home COVID test through the U.S. Postal Service, you've only got a few more days to get that done. Here is a clip about the news. So on Friday, the administration announced uh, that it will suspend taking orders for free tests through covidtest.gov because uh, Congress hasn't provided uh, the COVID funding. We need to replenish the nation's stockpiles of tests. Uh, as simple as that. The last day to replace uh, new orders will be Friday, this September 2nd. But just to give you a little bit of what we have done uh, and what we've had to do, uh, we've we have already distributed over 600 million tests through this program. Americans will continue to have other options uh, for free testing, including free at-home tests through private insurance, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and 1,500 community-based free testing sites. So that is available uh, to Americans. And that was White House Press Secretary uh, Kareem Jean-Pierre. Now let's go over to the T-Report. So in, in today's T-Reporter, this hour's T-Report, it's kind of bugging me because Madonna revealed that she's, quote, gagging to work with Britney again. And I think what's bugging me is she's using gagging the wrong way. <laughs> You don't say that you're gagging she like to work actually with like someone. throwing up? Like, I don't know. I, I have a very weak gag reflex. Oh, so my she, goodness. like me, are we sisters? Well, celebrating the release of her Finally Enough Love, 50 Number Ones remix collection, the Queen of Pop shared, even though Janet is my Queen of Pop, but the Queen of Pop shared a video to her YouTube channel on August 30th answering 50 personal questions from fans. When asked, can we ever expect another collaboration with Britney, Madonna replied, I am gagging to work with Britney again. Now, as we know, the pair famously worked together back in 03, and we all remember the kiss. In the name of the VMAs that just passed this past Sunday, we all remember the kiss. What I thought was funny about this is Madonna's uh, answer to, like, almost every question was sex. <laughs> I mean, duh. That feels when, very madonna -esque. It's very on brand. When, right? she, when asked what keeps her going, sex. Her life mantra, sex. Her star sign, sex. Secret to her success, sex, sex. And it goes on and on and on. And yes, she did even address questions about her ex-husbands, Guy Ritchie and Sean Penn. But that's the T-Report for this hour. Love you, Brittany. Stick around because next hour, find out what Dolly Parton is doing and, and how... Um, and how Coco and Maya, right, Maya can can benefit from what Dolly Parton is doing. Oh my God, Jordan Dog's name after a really incredible, like, R&B icon. That's not what her dog is named after. They just share a name. No, but I think she's a big R&B head. I did not. Wow. You said what? I did not name her. 
producer oh, show. Oh, I did not name her. No. Oh, you did not name no, her. No, she okay. came with the name from the yeah. show. Yeah. So for for listeners, Ryan's dog is Coco. Shelby's is is Maya, and I don't have one. So <laughs> stick around for the yes. report next hour. Well, let's get into some breaking news. Jenny Thomas is making more attempts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Yeah, the news is damaging. Find out more. Stick around. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. According to new emails obtained under state public record law, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and conservative activist Virginia Jenny Thomas not only pressed lawmakers to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 victory in Arizona, but also in a second battleground state, Wisconsin. Will this be the final straw that breaks the camel's back? Joining us to break down this breaking news is Fox News host and Forbes contributor Richard Fowler. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's good to be with you both. How are you? Happy Uh, Thursday. I gotta say, you seem really excited to discuss this breaking (laughs) news. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm not not saying that I'm excited to discuss the breaking news. I'm just excited to talk to y'all, but hey. <laughs> oh, well, we miss you. We always love having you on the show. Let's talk about what exactly have we found out about this new news and these new emails. Well, in this new email, what we find out is this, is that Jenny Thomas, the the wife of sitting Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, was also, she was being messy in Wisconsin as well. <laughs> and when she was in Wisconsin, she was telling the folks who were in charge of picking electors that they had the power to change who the electors actually was, a power they actually don't have. Because we know that Joe Biden won Wisconsin and thus the electors belonged to the Democratic Party. If this uh, gets any messier, what are some of the possible ramifications we can see that are going to affect Clarence? Well, it's hard to know. I mean, here's the truth. How the Constitution is written and what and how the laws are written when it comes to what can happen or not happen to Supreme Court justices is this. They have lifetime appointments. Um, It's probably, and since the conservatives do have a majority on the court, I think it's very hard to see an impeachment of Clarence Thomas. Um, So I don't think that's going to happen. What I do think will likely happen is some of this information will probably come out in what I I like to call season two of the January 6th um, committee uh, with, which is being chaired by Congressional Black Caucus and Homeland Security Chairman um, from Mississippi, Benny Thompson. So I think you'll see some of this information come out, and then it's going to be up to the voters, right? How will the voters use this information to make informed electoral decisions in the election, which is literally, in the upcoming election, which is literally 68 days away? Yeah, and I just find it like wild that Jenny really believed that she was powerful enough to send a few emails and completely change the outcome of, you know, the presidential election. Why, what are your thoughts around that? Like, why is it that we're seeing, you know, someone like a Jenny Thomas feel like she can literally send one message and get people to do what she needs to do? Well, this was based on the fact, and this all goes back to, and this is what I think we are going to see happen when the January 6th, committee reconvened. This all traces back to former President Donald Trump. Former President Donald Trump believed that he had the power to overturn the voter, the vote of the American people. You heard him when he was talking to Brad Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of of State in Georgia, telling him that he needs to go find 11,000 votes. And he had his acolytes, Jeannie Thomas being one of them, 
in states around the country, in a couple of states, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, trying to see if they could tinker with the vote, the elect, the, 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 really the democracy. There's yeah. no other way to put it. Knowing that they had lost, they had lost, they had lost, they had lost. They tried to say there was voter fraud, but they didn't have any evidence that could stand the light of a, a state, local, or federal courtroom. And so they had no evidence to prove there was voter fraud, but they continued this big lie. And this big lie is literally what caused folks to invade the United States Capitol yeah. and disrupt um, the people's business. And, and, and let me just say this, because I think there's a lot of folks that write off January 6th as just oh, yeah. another thing. And they try to compare it to what happened after the tragic murder and the heinous murder of George Floyd. Here's the difference um, for, for the folks for folk listening to it. Let's go there. There's not very many federal laws when it comes to the president electing a United States president. There is one law um, that is very important. And that law says this on January 6th at noon, there will a, a, a joint session of the United States Congress shall convene. That is overseen, that is presided, presided over by the vice president. So that is one of the few laws on the, in the federal books that oversees a presidential election. Uh, and the fact that, and they knew that. And so they knew they were going to violate a federal law. They were going to disrupt mm. one of the few things that Congress does when it comes to electing a president. Mm -hmm. And that's why January 6th is so consequential. And that's why that what happened on January 6th is a threat to our democracy. Well, Richard Fowler, thank you so much for being here and breaking this down. I mean, we'll see what other things she's done to possibly <laughs> ruin democracy. Once again, that was Fox News host and Forbes contributor Richard Fowler. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you all. Have a great Thursday. Well, coming up, the United States life expectancy has taken a bit of a hit. And could COVID be to blame? We're digging into that next. Stick around. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The average life expectancy of Americans fell severely in 2020 and in 2021, which is the sharpest two-year decline in nearly 100 years and a stark reminder of the toll enacted on the nation by the continuing coronavirus pandemic. Here to help us break all of this down and to see why this is happening is Dr. Amesh Adalja, infectious disease doctor at Johns Hopkins. Hi, Dr. Amesh. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. So I must know, why are we seeing this dip happen now? Well, I think when you look at the statistics and see what happened over the past year, <clears throat> the past two years with this pandemic, it's clear that it left a mark, just like 1918. If you look at life expectancy when the 1918 pandemic occurred, there was a, a drop in life expectancy. And I think just by anecdotally thinking about what it looked like in hospitals, the fact that there were freezer trucks for dead bodies in places like New York City, that should tell you that this was something that was extraordinary. And something like that is going to have an impact on the average lifespan. Uh, hopefully it will bounce back just like it did after 1918 and we'll still continue on a, on a good trajectory. But, but this is the power of pandemics. Yeah, and I, I can't help but think about and wonder historically when we're looking at even before, is it pretty normal that it went from, I believe it went from like, uh, it was 79 years and then it went to 76. Is that a normal dip or is it like one year? We only see kind of one year, it less than every year. It usually will be something, the pandemic is kind of a transient 
issue. So right. it should be something that goes back onto its normal trajectory once once people are able to deal with COVID-19, once people are getting vaccinated, once people are uh, having a- access to Paxlovid. And the fact is, a lot of the people already died that were going to die from COVID-19. So I think that that also plays a role. So it usually will be something that the immunity in the population, the tools we have will allow to b- bounce back. Do we know why this is hitting Native American and Alaska Native communities so hard in comparison to everyone else? Well, it may be that those are chronically under-resourced communities, those that lack access to health care, that may have other comorbidities like obesity, diabetes, hypertension that we know synergize with COVID-19. But even if you look at 1918, those same communities were hit very hard. And I think it has to do with the fact that there are you know, socio-demographic factors, how, how well off, how nutrition, how, how, um, how much nutritious food they have access to, all of those types of things that impact their overall health status are going to be exacerbated when there's a pandemic. Yeah, so it's like, now that we know this information, what do we do with it? I think it really underscores the fact that even in 2020 or 2021, 2022, a pandemic can really leave a dent, even in a place like the United States, which has the most advanced healthcare system in the world, uh, that, that this is something that policymakers need to take seriously because it does impact the population and they have to prepare for these types of things. And if they were able to have taken better actions in January, February and March of 2020, maybe some of that lifespan decrease would have been forestalled. And if they would have actually invested in public health infrastructure and not made all those mistakes, that could have been prevented. And it's important to remember that, that, that those decisions have consequences, and this is one of those consequences. So we have to hold policymakers accountable and, and get them to really understand how important it is to prepare for infectious disease emergencies and not be reactive, but to be proactive. I'm glad that you brought yeah. up the United States healthcare system because I'm interested in knowing in what ways does that affect these statistics? Because there are barriers, you know, people who don't have insurance, there, there are certain sy- systemic uh, barriers in place that are preventing people from actively seeking out he- help or getting the help that they deserve. Yeah. Well, I think it has more to do with the preventive care. If we didn't have obesity and diabetes at the rates that we do in the United States, it would have been a very different pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the, the important part is that our, that our healthcare system is much more geared towards treating acute illness rather than preventive medicine. And those cofactors played a major role. And then when you look at hospital capacity concerns, our healthcare system is kind of runs at the, at the, at the very top capacity. And it's very, very difficult in our system to expand, uh, to expand the ability to, for, for healthcare systems to be able to have more beds, all of that is constraining. So I do think that the capacity concerns that we saw played a major role in, in what happened. So do you, in your opinion, I don't know if you, you are at liberty to answer this because we talked about coronavirus as well. Do you think that it's a mix of coronavirus and misinformation that's to blame for this or it, are those two isolated incidents? Well, I think that the misinformation problem that we had in the United States completely uh, influence the death rates from COVID-19 because many individuals turned away from the vaccines. Uh, many people turned away from simple measures like masking in the pre-vaccine era. Mm-hmm. And I think that the misinformation that was out there definitely uh, played a role in how bad the the pandemic got in the United States. And I think if people, if, if we look at, you know, vac- how many people how many lives were saved because of vaccines and how many more could have been saved. Mm-hmm. I think that really would, that, that really is something that you can lay at the feet of misinformation. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Amish Adalja, infectious disease doctor. Ooh, that's a tongue twister. John Hopkins. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Well, guess what? We're pivoting here because Twitter is finally getting an edit button. But is there a downside to this news? Coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay. If you are a Twitter user, you should be celebrating because Twitter is testing one of its most frequently requested features, the edit button. Now, this is something, if you have been on Twitter forever and ever and ever, it is like the worst thing, especially when you're creating a thread and you (laughs) have a mistype or a A a typo. typo. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so annoying. Um, But the company has said they're trying out the feature to subscribers of Twitter's premium service called Twitter Blue, first in New Zealand, then in Australia, uh, and then Canada, and then the U.S. Now... Not everyone wants an edit button, though. Uh, the feature is already provoking backlash. Some experts warned that the edit button could be used to spread misinformation or to edit a tweet that has already been shared widely, changing it into different messaging. Um, Twitter said that it will, however, l- add a label to edited tweets that will allow users to click in and see the history of the tweet and its changes. I'm one of those people that even though I have typos all the time, I don't want an edit button. I'm right with you. I don't think it's okay. I literally have in my Twitter bio that typos keep me humble because they do. (laughs) Um, I, I think that you should just, even with making a thread, I mean, hopefully, like, if you're like me, you'll tweet and then you'll proofread. Yeah. And then you delete and then put it back there. But sometimes wow. it breaks Say it up. you're a Capricorn without saying you're a Capricorn. Because you can just <laughs> delete it. But what I do like, because this was brought to my attention back in March uh-huh. with Facebook. And I'm going to tell you how. People were going in their Facebook memories and, like, uh editing statuses where it would say uh, Chris Brown, I mean, excuse me, Will Smith is going to slap Chris Rock in 2022. So then oh, it's labeled so it's labeled like February yeah. 2013. And I was like, what? what? But you can click on Facebook and see that the original status was like, oh, I can't wait to go to Kelly Rowland's concert. But if you don't know what? to click that... I didn't even know you could edit. Oh, like, who's taking the time to do that? People who want to go viral. Yeah, they want that viral But if moment. you did not know that, because one of my friends told me that, because wow. Facebook does not have a clear indicator that that status has been edited. Yeah. You have to literally, like, click the three little dots or whatever. Because no that's when it was first brought to my attention. I think Twitter is going to be a zoo. Whether you mark it or not, it's going to... It's already a zoo full of misinformation. I saw a tweet going around this morning that was so grossly, like, someone said it was the... <laughs> National Black Caucus in Jackson, Mississippi, but it was literally a Juneteenth celebration in Tulsa from last year, and I wow. watched it spread. I literally yeah. watched it and watched everybody pick it up and comment on it. So I think this is going to cause more more harm than it will good, because Twitter's already a hot I mess. mean, we're in the year of misinformation. We're in the year of the era, revisionist. Not the year, the era. the era of revisionist <laughs> history. Um, and I just think if this happens, Republicans are going to be very excited about it. Anyone? What if, what if I like something? What if you say today it's very sunny and I like it, and then you've edited it to like I hate Sunny Hostin or whatever, and then it looks like I I like <laughs> well, the tweet. That's what's crazy to that's what's crazy to me because like you literally your life is just in everyone is I mean, but that is also the but internet. will Twitter send out notifications that the tweet has been edited? And you can know. only edit it once within the first 30 minutes of the tweet being sent off. Yeah, wow. Well, let us know what your thoughts are about this. If you're a Twitter user, I don't know who could be very excited about this, but there are some. Scam- scammers. We do have top of the hour news coming up next. And Russia is cracking down on LGBTQ propaganda? 
Okay, more coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Yo, speaking of Khalid, really quickly, who that was Marshmallow and Khalid Num, um, got to meet him again at the VMAs. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was on the best dress list, and Did he was he behind me. Oh, nice. Period. Not to flex. Did he sing? I don't want to put two black people against each other, but I'm just saying. Um, yes, he did perform. Nice. Did it make up for his BET Awards performance? I don't even remember his BET Awards performance. It was, the, it was the last one of the night. <laughs> I think he was having in-ear problems, according to him. Oh. <laughs> Are you thinking of Giveon? Oh, see, they're all the same to me. They're all the they're oh all the God. same. Different people. The, him, Anderson Pac, like they're all the I same to me. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna Excuse move. Excuse me for on. having a Kathy Hilton moment. They all look we, alike. The boomer is in the room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, um, you hear I'm coming out, Diana Ross, because Honey Channel Q wants to send you and a guest to Vegas to see the Supreme Diva, Miss Ross, Diana Ross. The iconic Miss Ross returns for a limited engagement at Win Las Vegas, September 21st to October 1st. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. Enter for your chance to win an airfare for two, two-night hotel stay at Win Las Vegas. Plus, honey, you get to be in the first 10 rows. Literally going to be incredible at the Encore Theater. Just head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for your chance to win. And if you don't win, guess what? You can still get tickets to go check out the show. i got to find a way to get there. Ticketmaster.com. I need to see Diana Ross perform my favorite song, The Boss, before she retires. Have you never seen her in live? No, I have not. Only through <laughs> through the TV. But the theme of my 32nd birthday was The Boss. I st- That's my favorite Diana Ross song. <laughs> and also Muscle. Is that what it's called? Muscle? I don't know. I got to look it up. I have no clue. But uh, this is what's happening this hour. Thanks for joining us again. That is Shar Jassel, who is filling in for Shira. Oh my God. Why do I have two co-hosts with the name S's? And a producer. Oh, wow. S-H. All around the all studio. everybody. Just confused. Honestly. In fairness, sh- there are now two Ryans. Yeah, that, that is true. <laughs> we have an issue here. We can't. We're just duplicating each other. Okay. Well, coming up this hour, the Trevor Project has released an interesting new study that looks 
looks at the mental health of LGBTQ plus youth who have parents in the military. Who knew? Like, that's such an interesting angle, and we're going to talk about it. They're joining us a little bit later this hour. But let's talk about some headlines. Are we ready? Yeah. So Russia is considering um, doubling fines for exposing children to what it calls LGBT propaganda and making any event or act seen as promoting homosexuality and administrative offense. Wow, Russia, y'all don't got nothing better to do. Isn't that subjective? I'm, well, isn't all of their things like because their one rules? could argue that their even just subjective? showing someone gay is promoting it. Gay. Hey, gay. Russia, that's literally what Russia's saying. Okay, so Russia's <laughs> existing gay propaganda law passed in 2013 bans any person or entity from promoting homosexual relationships to children. Oh um, the lawmakers argued in July the law should be extended to include adults as well. Under the proposed legislation, the penalty for promoting non-traditional sexual relations to children would be double to 2 million rubles, which is, I guess, $33,000 for entities with the fine increasing up to to 5 million rubles. And the offense took place um, online or in the media. This is all so unnecessary. I, I truly will never understand. I'm done racking my brain around it, but I just will never understand the energy behind stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, because they're bored, clearly, and they just want to hate people to hate people because they're evil. Anyway, let's move on to the big win that happened in Alaska. Democrat uh, Mary Pelotola, when she basically won a special election for the U.S. House in Alaska, defeating Sarah Palin and becoming the first Alaska native to win a seat in Congress, as well as the first woman to clinch the state's at-large district. This is incredible. Uh, She has uh, won and basically flipped a seat that had long been in Republican hands. Here uh, she is following her victory. Well, just a tremendous sense of gratitude and appreciation for the people who've put trust in me to to fill out the remainder of Congressman Young's term. Like you said, he's represented Alaska very well for the last 49 years, and it's just a tremendous honor to come in and and finish out the remainder of his term. And I intend to be um, in so many ways you know, really trying to live up to the legacy that Don laid for Alaska and um, champion and work for all Alaskans. And who she's uh, speaking of, she's basically uh, serving the remainder of a term left open by the sudden death of Representative Don Young back in March. Um, So, yeah, that is your headlines. We'll have more at the top of every hour. So stick around for that. But right now, let's go into the pop culture team. Yes. Why are we still having firsts in 2022? My God. I know, right? But, it does feel like wild. But nevertheless, and she, isn't she like, well, we, we can get into it on break. <laughs> Aha, Sarah Palin. Aha. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Dolly Parton. That was so petty. <laughs> she could see Russia from her house. Oh, Dolly so Parton, who we all love. Oh, my gosh. I'm about to watch 9 to 5 after work today. Uh, she has I just a, found out that was a movie. You've, I thought that was just a music video. You need video. to see that film. I thought that was just a music video. No. She stars is, in the movie? It's her, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin. It's Literally. Grace and Frankie with Dolly Parton. That's why she was in the last season of the show. It's, oh, a, it's a nine to five reunion. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. It is that iconic. was such a great episode, too. Okay, now just play the clip. Puppy Love was my very first record, and six decades later, my love for pets is stronger than ever. This inspired me to start my own line of doggy parton apparel, accessories, toys, and more with the little dolly flare. Now, part of the proceeds will support Willoughby Farms, a rescue where animals in need find never-ending love. 
Don't we all need that? Yes, you heard Dolly Ride. She has launched a pet clothing line and accessory line. Cute. Uh, and guess what's on this before we go out? Is so, it giving my dog big boobs? Well, you might want to get Coco. And I don't know if Maya fits the size range. I feel wow, like. Wow, so not in size inclusive. Well, you know, Dolly likes the petite dog. Well, Coco's not petite either. So she. Sorry, I mean, Cokes. No shade. <laughs> uh, but it features a, a fringe trimmed cowgirl dress, rhinestone bejeweled harness. Uh oh, right up your alley, That's Ryan. Cute. Gingham shirts and bandanas, concert t shirts, toys, and guess what? Even a blonde wig for oh. your dog. So if Coco wants to copy Auntie Char, you could get Coco a blonde wig <laughs> and a harness so it could be the perfect marriage between us. I love that uh, you come up with so many creative ways to call me gay. <laughs> that's the tier part for this hour. Stick around because next hour, Lance Bass and Topanga from Boy Meets World. They're working together on a special project. Stick around. Oh, I'm so happy we're talking about that because I want to talk about Ben Savage, too. All right, so up next, an estimated 1.76 million young people in the U.S. have a parent in the military, which comes with its own obstacles. But what obstacles lay at the intersection of queer youth and military living? Find out more up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So the Trevor Project released their report on a study of LGBTQ plus youth who have a parent or guardian currently serving in the armed forces of the U.S. And if you did know, being a military dependent has some unique challenges. And of course, being queer adds to those. Well, joining us to discuss this further is Dr. Jonah DeChance, a research scientist at The Trevor Project. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, according to researchers, an estimated 1.76 million young people in the United States have a parent in the military it's so interesting that you all decided to do this. So why was this study something you all wanted to look at further, especially with the queer lens? Yeah, absolutely. So this study is part of our larger national survey on LGBTQ youth mental health. That's where we collect this data. And the purpose of that survey is to really understand all the different environmental factors that might be contributing to a young person's mental health and either making it worse or making it better. So we try to make sure that we're really looking at all the different factors like a young person's family environment, their school environment. And so a parent's military involvement is just a piece of that environmental puzzle uh, that we want to understand. So that's why we ask this question, asking people, do you currently have a parent serving in the United States military? Um, and so then we looked at that subsample of youth and saw that indeed they do have some increased risk compared to their LGBTQ peers. I'm interested in knowing what's the most, I guess, surprising thing you learned from this study? Yeah, so one sort of surprising finding that we found is the element around family support. So first that we found that family support uh, had really positive effects on young people's mental health among military families. And we also found that rates of family support among young people with military parents were actually very similar to rates among young people who don't have military parents. So I think sometimes there's this conception that the military, especially given its history of excluding LGBTQ people, may be this homophobic environment where parents are less supportive of their children. Mm -hmm. And actually our findings found that military parents tend to express support at the similar rates as non-military parents, or at least in military families. Yeah, and I also wonder, with being a, a part of a military family, there can often be a lot of moving around. And I think community yeah. is such an important piece of, of the queer experience. And so I wonder, what, did you, did you, did any, were there any findings around the difficulties of like finding community that is supportive, even if they are in an environment where they may not have that support coming from family? 
That is a really great question, um, and that is a huge factor. Unfortunately, we didn't ask follow-up questions about, you know, whether the young person's parent was active duty or reservist and whether or not their family had moved around. So unfortunately, we can't speak to that experience in our, our particular sample of young people. But yes, that's a great example of the kind of stressor that young people with military parents may be experiencing. Uh, moving around, having a hard time connecting with peers who uh, are not part of, uh, don't have a military parent, don't have, aren't part of a military culture, finding support. Um, those are those are key factors, but unfortunately, we don't have enough detail to to talk about them scientifically. Yeah. Yes, the good old military brat. That's what I called him growing up. Um, <laughs> but I'm also interested in knowing, as far as like, you know, all of the information that was accumulated from this story. Um, excuse me, from this study. How does it compare to their cisgender heterosexual counterparts who might also have mel- military families? You know, that is also a great question, and we actually really struggled to find good scientific data about children of military parents. So there's good data on members of the military, and there's a growing body of literature on spouses, um, and there's some literature on the children of military parents, but we weren't actually able to find good mental health data. So that's an area where researchers, both in the LGBTQ community and in the more mainstream mental health and social sciences community, should really start to work to, to augment our understanding of, of how young people are being impacted by, by having a parent in the military. Yeah, so now that we have this information, what's next? Oh, let's see. Uh, well, we would love for, for folks who work with military families to use this research to think a little bit more about how they can make their services more accommodating and accepting and affirming of LGBTQ young people and LGBTQ families. Um, I think it's also important for mental health providers who are not officially connected with military providers who may not be working with military insurance like TRICARE to understand that that military families experience unique stressors, right? So I think there's a little bit of a two-way street. We need folks to be more aware of LGBTQ issues, and then we also need providers and healthcare practitioners to be more aware of military families and the stressors that they're under. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us. This was so interesting, and, and, and I think it, the information is really, really important for our community. Dr. Jonah DeChance, research scientist at the Trevor Project. Congratulations on all the work that you're doing. It's so so impactful. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Ryan. Have a great day. Coming up next, COVID has caused an increase in telehealth services, but how does that impact drug usage at home? Stick around. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A new study published earlier this week found that expanded use of telehealth services during the coronavirus pandemic was associated with a reduced risk of opioid overdoses. There's so much to dive into with this. So to help us dissect is Dr. Wilson Compton, Deputy Director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. So... Walk me through exactly what this means, because we know that there is an opioid crisis that is sweeping the nation and has been for quite some time now. So so what does this mean? Well, absolutely. I'm part of a large group in our federal government that are working to reduce the number of overdose deaths in our country. And unfortunately, despite our hard work, we've seen increasing numbers of people dying of overdoses every year up Mm -hmm. to at least the most current current data. Our study focused on what happened during COVID. We know that people had trouble getting to their doctors. We know that they had trouble getting the treatment that they needed 
to save their lives for all sorts of conditions. And so we were interested in looking when the federal government allowed doctors to use telehealth. That means allows you to use the telephone or or video conferencing online to meet with your, your therapist, your psychologist, or your physician. What happened? Did people use those services? And were they more likely to uh, uh, benefit or to have trouble after that? Well, and that's really interesting because I, I feel like there is obviously an accessibility conversation here because it doesn't really seem like that is accessible for everyone. Not everyone has the proper equipment to do these kind of virtual um, telehealth services. And so how, how does that play into this? Well, absolutely, that's true. Even when we make services available, that doesn't mean that everybody can, can take advantage of them. So that one of the things that is an advantage of these flexibilities is that it does allow telephone-based services. So most people do have access to a telephone. So that should allow the services to be more equally accessible, even in rural or or difficult-to-access regions of the country. Now, that said, we did find that uh, uh, African-American or black persons were less likely to participate in telehealth services and persons in some areas of the country like the South were less able to participate. So I, that's exactly what you're you're saying, is that just because it's potentially available doesn't mean that everyone can gain access to this, this way to get medical care. With this being telehealth, I think this is where I'm confused with this entire conversation. This is being tele, with, with telehealth versus in-person. In what ways are, I guess, these prescriptions or people's symptoms being observed and or policed in an effort to, you know, keep the opioid crisis at a minimum? Mm. Well, the good news is that physicians and other clinicians can talk to somebody and understand an awful lot about what's happening to them and maybe make a healthcare recommendation. I think we've all experienced that we may call a nurse or a doctor when we have uh, uh, certain symptoms and we don't have time to go there or don't have time to see them. This is not a new concept in healthcare, but applying it for persons who have addiction, persons who have uh, compulsive use of opioids, so they can't quit on their own and they need help urgently. Can we use the telephone to provide the services? That's, that's what our study was all about. And we were very pleased to see that people that used these telehealth services, whether that's telephone or video supported, were less likely to have an overdose and were more likely to be prescribed medications to help treat their condition. And, you know, this does seem like just the start of a bigger conversation. So now that we know this information, what are you looking at next? Well, I think we're, we, we, we hope to inspire researchers to look at um, who do these services work for, because we know they're not good for everybody. There's some people Mm-mm. who absolutely need in-person care Me. And, can't, and can't take advantage of, uh, of getting care remotely like this. On the other hand, there are many people where the idea of getting in a car, going to an office, waiting for some time, seeing somebody for a few minutes, and then going back home, maybe so much extra effort that this easy way to access services could be life-saving and really help them turn their lives around. And figuring out who it helps and who it doesn't help is kind of our next major challenge. Yeah, I guess it boils down to accessibility and preference, because I prefer in person. I still use telehealth services for therapy. I love it. Yeah, me too, but I still prefer in person. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. That's Dr. Wilson Compton, Deputy Director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health. 
Okay, so coming up next, uh, we're actually switching things up because, oh my God, we've never done like a code case story here, but the surprising piece of evidence that got this man convicted for murder, oh, I can't wait to break it all down. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, we normally don't do like code case type stories here. I love a true crime. But I am into it. I really am into it. So... We found the story. Well, producer Shelby found this story because I honestly, what made you find this story? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anything with an interesting headline, it just okay. Gets. So I saw hot dog and murder, and I had to. Click. You saw a hot dog, and it had nothing to do with Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this cold case was solved after 30 years, and you want to find out what solved the case? Well, it all started at a 2019 hockey game that would be Jerry Westrum's last. Ooh. It would be his last. So, apparently a 35-year-old sex worker had been found stabbed to death in her Minneapolis apartment on June 13th, 1993. Now, oh, they I was fa- five. And I wasn't even a, a, a born yet. I ever thought in the yeah, universe. Well, you were cooking. I'm like yeah, five I was, years I was older Actually, than you. No, I was probably like nine months. Am I six years older than you? I don't know. I, maybe five. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought about what I was doing when I was five while the stab- stabation was going on. Well, they found, uh, the police found this gruesome crime scene covered with DNA, but they couldn't even trace it to anyone. And this is the wild thing. Like, it took years for them to even figure it out. Years had dragged on with more questions than answers until 2018 when law enforcement decided, you know what? We need to start this case. We need to bring this case back. Because in 2018, I guess hope was kindled through like a breakthrough in investigation techniques where they could figure out like, oh, there's technology. We can figure out this DNA. Mm -hmm. And so starting back in January 2019, investigators began to basically like hone in on this Jerry person because literally... He must have already been a a wishy-washy character for them to already be looking at him. No, here's the thing. Like he was at this hockey game, right? Uh Uh-huh. Investigators dug through the trash after watching him throw it away. They were watching Mm -hmm. every move. And he threw out a used napkin and a cardboard hot dog tray. Mm. And then they took that and compared it to the DNA samples that had been recovered at the murder scene. And it was a match. And he was arrested. That is wild that they've been that incentivized. Because you know what? Law enforcement hadn't been looking too good in the press lately when it comes to solving things. (laughs) But I bet if TikTok was around in 1993, this would have been, Oh my God. This should have, like, honestly, this feels like the next HBO Max hit that Nicole Kidman 
is ready to play. Oh. Like, she's probably going to be the one, the they, sex worker that dies. I hope that they have the, the same energy. I don't know what Jeannie Childs looked like, but I hope that they have the same energy around black and brown women who, who've, <laughs> who've been murdered. You got to bring it back. We got to, yeah, I mean, that's, those are valid points. Yeah. Because we don't know if the sex worker was black or brown. Actually, I think she was, uh, she was white. She was a white woman. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is such a wild story, though. It and all I suddenly, started with the hot dog and a napkin and some saliva. I suddenly want to go to Sam's Club or Costco. Also, this should just be a reminder. Maybe you should never go to a hockey game. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yeah, we're keeping this party going on. It is, you know, Ryan here with Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Shira is out, but Shar Jassel is in the building. Yes, Shira is at Burning Man. She Char- doesn't mind me telling you all. You have literally been here more than Shira and I combined. This I'd say this summer, <laughs> this summer after there's been a lot of moving pieces this yeah, summer. You know? you know, have you enjoyed it? I have. I've I've enjoyed I'm always having fun here at, at Channel Q and just at the station as a whole, you yeah, know, no, even right? outside of Channel Q. I was actually shocked to see we have a new uh, piece on our walls outside of our studio. It's a beautiful painting of Channel Q with a rainbow on the nose flag. It's the progressive. The only flag. thing I don't know is what the circle is at the top. I think that's for uh <laughs> I think that's asexual. No, that's the asexual. It's the what? There's the a purpose? circle at now, the top. Now you know I sh- I'm embarrassed because I wrote a whole article about this last <laughs> year <laughs> about the newly redesigned progressive pride flag. I've never seen that. Even on the newly redesigned progressive flag, I've never entire, seen that circle. I wrote an entire article. Thanks for supporting my work. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've in- seen it. No, I know. Because <laughs> I don't even remember, and I wrote it the was, piece. It was them. I don't, yes, and yeah. I wrote the piece, and I don't even remember. The circle is for intersex folks. Shout out! Okay. We love y'all. Oh, yes. We all stand, everyone here. But we have a lot coming up this hour. I'm, I just wanted to let you all know about the beautiful work that's going on here in the studio and to say thank you to Shar for always being here. Now, um, Diana Ross is what's happening right now. Um, we're, we got some really cool flyaway giveaway stuff that's happening. If you want to go see Diana Ross in Las Vegas, we want to give you that chance. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for your chance to win an airfare for two. Two-night hotel stay at the Wynn Las Vegas. And some really close tickets up front at the Encore Theater. Just head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win, darling. Now, up next to this, I mean, this hour, basically... Enough with uh, quiet quitting, because I've heard we've been talking a lot about quiet quitting. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to talk about falling in love with our jobs again. Okay. Is that possible? Well, I do think so. We're going to figure it out. Right now, let's get into some headlines before I have to throw over to Char. Cute. So, let's talk about a Michigan election um, elections board and how they rejected an abortions right initiative after its two Republican board members voted against putting up uh, putting the proposed con- uh, constitutional amendment on the November ballot. The two Democrats on the board voted in favor, but uh, getting the measure on the ballot required at least three votes of the four member board. The Repu- uh, Reproductive Freedom for All campaign, which gathered uh, signatures to get the measure on the ballot, is expected to appeal to the Democratic-leaning Michigan Supreme Court in the coming days and express confidence it would prevail. Um, in other news, BYU 
Brigham Young University confirmed it pulled hundreds of LGBTQ plus resources, uh, pamphlets from the orientation bags provided to incoming freshmen this semester. Wow, that's rude. The pamphlet um, entitled Allyship and Activism Resource Guide, LGBTQ plus edition, was created by the off-campus LGBTQ plus support group Rainbow Collective and was approved by the students um, newspaper as well as multiple professors. Some of the pamphlets were allegedly thrown into the trash um, the Rainbow Collective posted to Twitter saying, unfortunately, it follows a consistent pattern of BYU breaking its promises and agreements with LGBTQ plus students. That is your top of the hour news. Let's get into the tea report. So Lance Bass and Danielle Fischel, who we know affectionately as Topanga um, <laughs> from Boy Meets World, I did not know that they were once upon a time in a relationship. Yes, a romantic one. Lance Bass. So that was one of the women he dated. Yeah. And I did Love not know. You know, Lance came out in 2006. Topanga was, is a baddie. She, she was. Is. She was gorgeous. She I is. I mean, she still is. But. She is. But I didn't know he came out in 2006. I was still in high school. And wow. it was like a breath of fresh air to know she wasn't one of the racist ones on the cast. I know. Because yeah. the whole cast. Everyone else. I mean, was. everybody. That was really sad. That's one but, of my favorite shows. <laughs> but uh, they went to prom together. This got me to thinking because I don't know about you and Shelby. I went to prom with my cousin and my cousin took me to prom. Granted, she's a stud. So it all worked out. <laughs> well, it was out. still masculine and feminine energy. <laughs> it, it all worked out. Uh, I went with my best friend. You did? Yeah. That's nice. Did you go to prom, Producer Shelby? Yeah, I went with my girlfriend. Oh, so. wow. I, for, I forgot Come on, you. Gen Z. You know Gen Z, they all progressive. Wow, they, get to, they get to express I, themselves see, we talked, openly. We talked about uh, proposing. I'm the one who asked my girlfriend to prom. So it's like, oh. wow. Them gender roles don't matter. Because I, 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 Shelby and I told her I better not ever see her down asking no man for his hand Well, and marriage. I agree with that. I, I, I don't think it's cute to see. <laughs> yeah, but that's... that's I want to know what your town thought of this. But nevertheless, uh, they're working on a film inspired, like a little rom-com inspired by when they dated. Now, they did talk about this on the Pod Meets World podcast, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, it's a part of the Pod Save the World. Uh, well, Pod Save like America. Cricket, Ami- Cricket, yeah, Cricket Media? Media. Yeah, it's a part of all of that franchise. Pod Save the People, Pod Save the World, Pods, which Pod, Pod Save Meets the World, world. is more so like climate change. Oh, Okay. Well, they broke up. Uh, Lance broke up with Topanga two weeks after prom. He said it was one of them things where, you know, you realize he did it like once and, Child, yeah. and realize like, okay, I, I need a man in my life. Oh, so she was the, I mean, she was the last yeah, woman Yeah, she was dated. the tipping point. Wow. So we'll see what this film does. There's no word as to when it's coming out or where it'll be. I'm assuming streaming, no shade. Uh, but I will definitely, this sounds like some fun, like some Netflix fun maybe. So... I like the both of them. I like Lance and Topanga. They both have proven to be not really problematic. So that's the tea report for this hour. Stick around because next hour, you all pull in close because Leah Michelle has spoken and she's addressing the racism. And can she read or not? We're going to find out next hour. Okay, so we're going to talk about falling in love with her job again. And clearly, I still hate mine. So we'll be right back. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, in the middle of this moment where we have been, I feel like we've been talking a lot about like folks quitting their jobs, finding new new kind of career paths, pivoting, especially the great, what was it? The great resignation. Oh, yeah. Well, have you, have you seen the TikToks that counteract that? Like, it's like when you're head, it's people getting dressed saying like when you're headed back to corporate America because you only earned $157 over the past two months being an entrepreneur. <laughs> like, they're I mean, funny. They're I funny. Mean, sometimes you do got to make those tough decisions because. Listen, it's not for everyone. That entrepreneur Everybody work is it. own a business. But before you have, you know, before you quit your job. 
the question is, is there a way to fall back in love with your job? Can you find that spark again? And I think this is really interesting because I think it's really normal for us, especially depending on if you've worked at a place consistently for a long time. And then, of course, with life... <laughs> with life kind of lifing and especially now and going through like pandemics and all these different things that we've all gone through while being at a job it literally can make you feel like damn i do not want to be here anymore yeah i think for me though like when those thoughts have popped up i think about the inverse because i know what it's like to not have a job and be in my apartment crying and wondering uh-huh. can i attend this person's birthday brunch or get scarcity spe- always has me ke- ke- keeps me at yeah. a job or give spectrum their money yeah. like when you have to make that decision so it's one of those things but um i definitely have you know certainly had those thoughts i think that's totally normal because you have days that you're on and days that you're you're not on and like Jobs take a lot out of you. Even if you're sitting behind a desk, it it takes a lot out of you. I mean, I remember when we were doing this show during 2020, and it was just, like, so difficult. And I remember the first, like, moment that I actually, like, was... I called everyone was like hey I need to just take a day off Mm -hmm. and was like I just you know don't feel well and I just need to kind of have a mental health day and I remember meeting you at the park and that was like the first because Echo Park where we were just my brain is fried (laughs) I walked around Echo Park so many times (laughs) crying I tell you sure I was Forrest Gump at Echo Park just running around in a circle but I, I that was my first moment where out of all the years that I had been working here had felt like, oh, it's it's at a point where I have to take a break. Well, yeah, I, I have mean, to do hats it. off to all of you all here that are on air that worked consecutively through the pandemic. I filled in a few times yeah. on, you know, the now defunct, you know, drop the subject show, and it was complicated. Also, I don't, it is like a trigger for me now because of 2020. I cannot, I have an in-home studio, as you know, yeah. with, with multiple lights and a good backdrop and a hot topics chair. I cannot work out of my apartment anymore. I had a fit when at the top of the year when I got the Omicron and it was like Friday, January 7th and my first show of the year working with you and Shira, I had to do from home. Yeah. I literally had a breakdown because it took me back to a dark space. So I totally understand. And like I said, hats off to you for even being in this show. You're the only black person on air here and there was a lot going on in 2020. It was a lot to go. You know, and I think that's the first (laughs) step, right? And this this really incredible article from Vice talks about how everyone is talking about quiet quit like quitting your career. But how about you just kind of rethink about it and allow yourself some time to one, take a break. Mm -hmm. Perfect tool, right? Also, watch a TV show where the characters work a similar job, which quite interesting. I don't know if that's something I would necessarily do. I would. Because TV is glamorizing it yeah. and not really getting down to the nitty gritty. Like, damn, they got a way better studio right? than me. <laughs> I mean, look at Carrie Bradshaw. She was freelancing and, and making tons of money. I mean, look at Mary Jane Paul, <laughs> who was, you know, shout out to Gabrielle Union, you know? And then also, I guess, one thing that I, I had to do as well is like checking in with myself and asking, like, okay, is, is there anything that could change that wouldn't bother me anymore? Mm. You know what what I mean? What did you come up with? I think for me, it was being more intentional about 
checking in with myself and saying, no, if I'm not feeling, if I'm waking up this mm-hmm. morning and I know I can't push through, I got to take a moment. Mm-hmm. I, I, it I'm will be back. that you finally I, reached that point. It took so much time. I first met you back in 2019. so much time. That was the main thing I yelled at you about. Now, some other things that they, uh, <laughs> no, literally, actually, Char would get on to me about it. But uh, some other little points, make friends with your coworkers. I think yeah. that can be valuable. And then milk every single benefit. <laughs> Which is like, what? Go go to PTO. the... PTO? I mean, true. Or use your sick time. Even yeah. though I found out some offices, you got to actually have a doctor's note. You know, Ooh. you can't just... Which I think is such an interesting name because if I want to have a mental health day, that should count as a sick day. It Because it, it is. Exactly, right? <laughs> is. And I don't need to get a doctor's note no. to tell you I had a mental health day. Shout out to capitalism. I'm not in fifth grade anymore. Are you kidding me? And then the, the one thing that I'm not necessarily sure that I agree with this article about where it says, remember at the very least, you're getting paid for it. Money ain't everything. It's not, especially if you don't feel as if you're being paid your worth. Period. You know, some people are working jobs where they're earning minimum wage. You know, they say the the jobs with minimum wage, they do the most work. Yeah. So it's exactly. like, you know, when you think about as the right keeps saying baristas, you know, they keep throwing that out. Starbucks is probably one of the hardest jobs, uh-huh. you know, memorizing no whip, no phone. Yeah. No fa- like, so you got to factor that in as well. Well, um, that's I mean, that's that on that. What's coming up next? What's coming up next is, should the title King of Pop, we know that to be Michael Jackson, but is it time for it to be passed on to someone else? Mm. Hmm, stick around. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Last week, you know, the internet went into a tizzy when Rolling Stone UK outraged a number of folks, a good chunk of folks, when they crowned Harry Styles, who I am now a fan of. Uh, who is it? The, I really like the guy. I love. I don't. I, I, I don't I, like his queer baiting, but I like. I like the fact that his music is really great, and he's done some incredible things. That's another segment for another day. <laughs> we actually but talked about it yesterday. They call. <laughs> Well, Rolling Stone UK <laughs> crowned Harry Styles, and they casually mentioned it, I should mention, the new king of pop. As white people do. And people were upset. And so we had to call our friend Garrett Kennedy, who's a music journalist and also an author in defense of Whitney Houston. Really good book. Grab that. Um, to weigh in on this, because Garrett wrote a piece. Hi, Garrett. Hello. Hello. Yes, oh, there's and, that voice. And Hi. Let, and let me get your title right. Cultural critic. Okay, journalist and author. Cultural Garrett critic. Yes, that, that's yes, it. Come on. Okay, so Garrett, walk, walk me through exactly. I know I just kind of paraphrased what happened, but I know that, you know, Michael Jackson's nephew uh, came out in defense of his uncle. What What's the current landscape around this this crowning of King of Pop? What are you seeing online? I mean, it's a conversation that we've had so many times now. It's, it's, um, it, it, uh, to me, it's, it's very um, dumb. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Any, I don't know another way to put it other than I think it's actually goofy because when we're thinking about a term like that, these these sort of honorific titles that artists have been given by the media and fans and whatever. And let's be clear, it's none of these actually matter. There's nothing that comes of you being the queen of soul, the queen of pop, any other than like bragging rights from you, know, like your fan base essentially. And so this conversation around Michael is so interesting because the idea that, you know, he can be the only one to have ever existed. Like no one else can have that title. No one else can be crowned anew. It just, you, you cannot do it because Michael's existence is supposed to take up all the air in the room for 
the rest of eternity, apparently. And I've had such an issue with that. You know, I think, you know, over the years when we see people like Justin Timberlake be attacked when, when he's called that, or Usher, or The Weeknd, or Bruno Mars, um, or Justin Bieber, or right now we're seeing with Harry Styles and this Rolling Stone situation that happened last week, you know, it's such a reminder that we sort of, uh, we have this really limited view of, of music, right? And it's and it's and it's our it's it's our attachment to nostalgia. It's our attachment to yeah. you know this feeling that we feel toward Michael, and a lot of that is based off of our childhood. Wow. No real reality of of where the music resides today. No real reality around the fact that actually his sister's music has eclipsed his in terms of cultural relevancy Ooh. and influence, and has continued to. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and say it since people have a hard time saying it, and I don't. I don't know why it's so difficult for us to have this conversation about Michael. Well, okay, Garrick, I think what's really interesting here is I feel like a lot of the um, uncomfortableness, or maybe the, not that's not even the right word, but a lot of the, um, yeah, where people are kind of upset about this conversation is because, and I posed this, I just had this conversation with a, a couple of friends on a podcast where I was wondering, well, does the king of pop have to be passed to another person of color? And I think uh, mm. this group of like, we're, I mean, it's black folks specifically having this conversation. It's uh, people of color who were really upset that we saw Harry Styles by get named this or deemed this by a white legacy uh, sure. publication. And I think a lot of people are like, well, does it have to be another person of color to like have this role? And I, I for one, am not sure about that. I do feel like we have to this whatever this um, this title is, it can be passed down. Why would it not be passed down? But why do you think people of color are feeling such a way around this? Well, I mean, a lot of it is is, is erasure, right? When it comes to how we are positioned in pop music, um, black people are the archetypes of all of this. I mean, we we, we know this. Um, obviously, we still have to say this over and over and over, especially when we talk about, you know, genres of music like country or rock or these places where, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of our representation in mainstream spaces because they would like to keep us um, on the sidelines. Um, so I think the sort of conversation around, you know, the king of pop and that title specifically and like it should only go to a person of color. I mean, I don't really entirely agree with that. Um, because I'm someone who I believe like, yo, treat this, treat this like royalty, right? When, yeah. when the king dies, you gotta, you gotta give that crown to somebody else. But it also is a reminder of why these titles actually don't even make much sense, right? Because what are you basing it off of? Every time we see these yeah, arguments crazy. around Michael, people talk about all oh, the fans were passing out at the concerts and it's like, sure. This was also before social media, so people only saw celebrities mm -hmm. on TV, and then you saw them at a concert. So fame is much different now. The music industry is much different now. Um, our consumption as audiences are much different now. So I think it's a little unfair to judge every single piece of music that's ever released off of Thriller. Like, I mean, it just is like at a certain point, it's like, get a grip, right? Because I feel like, you know, it, it limits the fact that greatness is something that we hope that we see again. You know, when you think about someone like Michael and what he was able to achieve, there have been other people who have achieved similar things. I mean, yeah. I know people don't like to have the conversation, but when we talk about, you know, what Beyonce has done, especially what she's done in the last 10 years. Yeah. Is that is has that not surpassed Michael in a, in a real honest way? Yeah. In terms of cultural in terms of cultural impact, in terms of cultural um, dominance in terms of in terms of a conversation around just who she is and what she represents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you want to start getting nitpicky around 
the music and, 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 the, and the sales figures because we know the stand girlies love to talk about sales. They love to beat that, beat that oh, over yes. your head all the time around sales. But then you don't want to actually have the conversation when it comes to sales about other people who have surpassed all of these other folks and- as well. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there's a certain point where if we're really getting into it, Eminem was the, is the king of pop at one point. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like if we're really going to be honest about what this is and what that title means to people when they say it, yeah, that's something that includes a lot of and, other people and not just one person. And I've seen definitely seen people argue, you know, about Thriller, how Harry Styles doesn't have one of those. And I thought about when you referenced Queen of Soul, T.S. Um, uh, Madison told a very hilarious story about what Jennifer Lewis told her about how Aretha don't play about that Queen of Soul title. I'll share it with she you on break, right? Like, Aretha don't play. She attacked Beyonce over calling Tina um, Turner the queen. Yeah. yeah. And she didn't even say of soul. She just said the queen. But that's Garrett Kennedy, who is an author, journalist, cultural critic. Garrett, tell everyone where they can find your latest book. Um, you can find it anywhere books are sold. Then we almost have it all on Defense of Whitney Houston. Anywhere, anywhere, anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, um, before we get into our conversation, we're having a debate here. We just played Mary J. Blige Family Affair. Really amazing. um, Uh, Iconic song. Iconic, but a a really cool like remix of this, right? And I said, this is an R&B. Like the original Family Affair Mary J. Blige song is an R&B song. Shar's over here saying it's a pop song. Yes, because and I don't J- believe that. Mary J. Blige is an R&B artist, but that song is arguably the only pop song in her entire catalog. Everything else is R&B. That is a pop song. No. Okay. That is a pop song. I, when you mm. think about the audience reach, everybody knows Family Affair. Okay, thank you. Play it for me. Everybody don't know. Uh, everybody don't know. Rainy but you're days. talking. You're now. But now you're saying it's popular. It, I think it, it's, it's a, also a pop. It's song. a popular song. It's but a pop, a pop song is not this. This go is ahead. Go, let's go ahead and play it. So what's different from this in positions? Let's get it this is for the this is, no. this is a certain demographic. Don't let the strings fool you. What's different from this in Ariana's position? Okay, so and, and we can play it. What? I, my thing is the bass. Like, you don't get like a That's swing bass like this. Yeah. Is the bass? I mean, but position, if you play positions right now, but it's it does have beat a beat too. True, and I think she is a pop artist. Mary J. Blige is not a pop artist. Not right. saying that she can't not have pop records, but Mary doesn't have a lot of pop records. She doesn't, but Beyonce doesn't have a lot of country records, but Daddy Lessons is Daddy, a country song. It's literally the only one she has. <laughs> this is the only one Mary has. No. Everything else is RB. But it sounds like. Everything else the difference here is that country, Daddy's Lessons, Beyonce, has a country flair. Like, it sounds like it plays on country radio. I'm sorry. This is not being played on no hot, like, yeah. like nine, you know, on RIP 97.1 Amp Radio. Well, that's but only because it's, it's not Mary being J. Blige. But if this were Pink singing this song, this would have been right up there with Let's Get It Started on a Friday night. No, this just is, like a pill. Let's, now, Let's Get It Started is a completely <laughs> no, different No, this is of the same vein. If, oh. Pink sang, if Kelly Clarkson sang this, please. Sorry. Please. No, no, I'm sorry. Please. I love the song. Family Affair is a great song, but it's not a pop song. Thank you very much. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh, it's time for my what? Yeah. Yes, Queen. It's time for the my favorite part of the show where we really just highlight some amazing work that folks are doing. And this one goes out to this incredible um, Mexican clinic that is offering discreet abortions to Americans just over the border. And I think this is so important because more Americans are seeking um, 
Louisa's, uh, Louisa Garcia's basically clinic treatments uh, in Tijuana, Mexico. She noticed this sharp and striking trend after, of course, like Roe v. Wade was overturned. And she was like, you know what? I need to step up. And she's the director of Profem Tijuana, uh, where people can get abortions just a few steps across the uh, border, crossing between San Diego and uh, Tijuana. And this is so important. She says... Um, that they don't tell us the truth because they think that we are going to deny them service once they tell us that they're from the U.S. We see people that only speak English with blue eyes and blonde hair. In other words, there's no way to deny they come from anywhere else. <laughs> she said, girl, we see your whiteness and we know where you came from. She said, from. girl, quit playing with me. <laughs> Anyone, regardless of nationality, though, can get an abortion this clinic, she says, the clinic is now looking to expand, moving from offering medication abortions in Tijuana to soon providing the surgical procedure there, too. And um, they are also scouting for a new clinic, bigger and better. She believes that Tijuana has become a destination due to cost, privacy and convenience. And honestly, it sucks that I, a lot of people don't have the um, the access to travel in that way yeah. to even cross the border or to even Can't get even there. Can't even go state to state, Period, really. right? And so, like... <laughs> county to county. The folks that can, at least she is creating a space for them to be able to do this um, because it is a cheaper option and there's other factors there. Um, and I, honestly, she gets the big yes, Queen, for sure. This is incredible. Yeah. Yes, Queen. That is the end of our show. We are so happy that you were here with us listening in. I hope you learned something, took something away. And I hope you just had a damn good time. Shaw Jessel, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Honestly, September. we need to, uh, as soon as this is over, we need to FaceTime Shira to see what box braid she has. Oh, I wonder what color she added. I How long did she go? She was talking about blue. Okay. Yeah, you know, something fun. I'm for already the working on my 500 word piece <laughs> with her picture. As soon as she, I'm going to screenshot the FaceTime. Oh my God. At Char says so everywhere on social media. Keep fighting, uh, following her. All right. Well, that's the show. We love you very much. Have a wonderful day. And don't, uh, well, what's, what's my saying? Remember to slay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.